Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So let's get started. So today I am here with Kelsey Ray from Tennessee Neurofeedback and my friend Amanda Tarr, who's been on two of my podcast episodes, two of my very early episodes. And Amanda's just kind of sitting in, but I told her if she has any thoughts or questions, I would love for her to chime in. But Kelsey Ray has uh, the main business, uh, Tennessee Neurofeedback, based out of Nashville. That's right. Brentwood? Yeah, Brentwood. Okay. And hello, Kelsey. I'm very <laughs> casual and organic. I'm oh, just so glad to be here. Oh, you're sweet. So Kelsey is friends with a very, very good friend of mine from college who lives in Nashville, Amy. Hello, Amy. And Amy connected us, and Kelsey has kindly, um, they, they opened a satellite here in Chattanooga. And I've always wanted to do neurofeedback or brain mapping. And Kelsey offered to do it for me, on me, so that I could see. And my friend Amanda got to witness the whole thing, which was really cool. So I can talk about it personally. And um, Kelsey's just finished my impromptu feedback session. She normally delays it after time. Yeah, we to... take, a, take a day or two to process it and okay. hear the report and everything. Okay. So... I would love for Kelsey to just explain a little bit. She's already been telling us a lot and I did record that. So I may add some bits from our like session earlier, but um, what she does and how this can help people. And hopefully Amanda and I can ask some good questions and Kelsey can explain it to where you know that this could be potentially helpful for you. So um, <clears throat> could you just maybe start by either giving us your classic spiel yeah. or... Totally. So I'll start with sort of why we came into existence, um, mm -hmm. which is, as I described to y'all, my mom, KK, is a trauma therapist, a marriage and family therapist in Nashville. And she had been doing trauma work for a, a long time with clients and then went to a training with Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And he kept saying neurofeedback over and over again. And the thing he said is, if we add neurofeedback into trauma therapy, other uh, brain-based modalities, then we can get the brain to a state where, where it's cured of the the effects of trauma. So instead of teaching clients a bunch of coping skills, which are invaluable, um, and, and leading them to a state where they can cope with the effects of trauma, we can actually reverse the effects of trauma on the brain. Mm -hmm. She came home, bought all the equipment, and then started, my dad and I were her guinea pigs for a while with neurofeedback. Mm -hmm. um, and then the clinic in Nashville really just boomed. And what we found was neurofeedback was um, sort of filling this gap for clients where they were either getting stuck in therapy or their issues felt like um, too big for therapy. They needed something fast uh, so that then they could do more therapy later to really process. And, and essentially what neurofeedback would do for them and continues to do for clients is it calms the central nervous system down quickly. Mm. 
So someone who has a lot of anxiety or big trauma responses or is in a really um, difficult marriage or there's any kind of crisis happening um, and, and they're working really hard to regulate but just can't seem to stay regulated. Neurofeedback is um, a really fast, non-invasive, efficient way to get the nervous system regulated so that then they can go and process, do the more psychological mind-oriented work that they need to do. So the way it works, we always start with a brain map, and that's a 19-channel QEEG, which means we're recording brain activity at 19 places on the scalp. Mm. And then we're processing that data through a database, comparing it to hundreds of other brain maps to get a sense for where this person's brain is functioning really well and where it's either over or, over or under functioning. And we call that dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And everybody has dysregulation. Everybody's afraid when they come for a brain map that their, their brain's not going to read anything at all, and they're just dead. Um <laughs> But, but what we see is when we analyze a brain map, we're able to identify um, what kinds of symptoms this person is probably experiencing, whether or not they've told us or not. So uh, things like they're going to have panic attacks or they're going to worry a lot or they're going to ruminate or um, they're really emotionally flooded. So a trigger happens and they go from zero to 100 all of a sudden or on the other end of the spectrum, uh, they don't notice that they're getting triggered and all of a sudden they're shut down and they don't know why. Mm. Um, so we read the brain map and we get a sense for uh, what kind of state the brain is in and then where we need to intervene. And that's where neurofeedback comes in. So that's the, the uh, neurofeedback is the treatment we do. And that's all we do in our clinic is, is neurofeedback treatment. So we refer out for therapy and psychiatry and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and the way a neurofeedback session, session works is you sit for 30 minutes and you watch a TV show or movie. You can watch anything you want. And you'll have two or three sensors on your scalp that are recording your brain activity. Um, and then the software is set to reward your brain anytime you're producing healthier activity, the kind of desired activity. So say your brain is running on a whole lot of anxiety. We're probably going to put sensors in the back of your brain and tell those sensors to reward you anytime your brainwave activity slows down a little bit. So when it moves out of that really frantic, high energy state into a calmer, more relaxed, focused state. And the way the reward works is the TV screen you're watching will get brighter and you'll hear a soft feedback tone. And through that process, your brain is subconsciously rewarded. So in terms of, of what you're doing as the client, you're just sitting there watching your TV show. It's a very passive therapy very low effort. So when the TV screen gets bright and you hear that tone, your brain subconsciously registers, oh, I'm getting rewarded. I like this reward. And I also feel calmer. So I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. And then it puts that behavior on repeat. It starts producing that calmer, slower wave over and over again. And over time, that becomes your brain's new normal. So just like uh, we talked about the example of learning to play the piano. If you practice your scales enough times, your brain's going to remember the scales forever. Same thing with practicing different brainwave frequencies. It's just that we can't consciously tell our brain, okay, produce less beta wave and produce mm -hmm. more theta wave. We have to use the, the technology to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really the same learning process that your brain goes through when it learns to do anything, when it learns a new language or learns how to drive. It's just that we're accessing it um, through the technology instead of through the conscious mind. Mm. It's so cool. It's amazing. Well, and earlier before we started recording this part, we were asking what are some of the most common issues that you treat? And you said anxiety, depression, ADHD, mm -hmm. and then trauma. Trauma, sleep issues, sleep issues. Um, concussion recovery. Uh, we also work with a lot of peak performers. So athletes, um, artists, 
business people who feel fine day to day, but um, know that they could feel better. They could kind of max out the focus or what we call flow state where mm-hmm. um, you're not having to think about what you're doing. You're just doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really fun treatment too, because, uh, people can just, um, go really from good to, to great and make that level of great functioning more sustainable. It's less draining on the brain. So it's like performance enhancement Mm -hmm. using neurofeedback. Yeah. So how does it work? It works really similarly to the way we treat anything else. So usually really high performing people have a lot of stress exposure. They're often not sleeping that well. Um, maybe they have ADHD, mm-hmm. um, and they're so in overdrive. Kind exactly. Of. Um, or they're running on a lot of anxiety. Part of why they're such high performers is because they're perfectionistic and they're afraid of failing. Mm. Um, and so in the short term, they're performing really well, but then they often crash or, um, they're afraid that they will crash. And so, uh, you can think of it like, um, like, you know, old laptops that, uh, have the really loud fans. If you open a whole bunch of different programs Mm -hmm. on the computer it goes into overdrive and the fan turns on and it slows way down and it gets really loud that's what a lot of performers brains are like because Mm -hmm. they're doing so many different things at such a high intensity and so there's too much noise and we're kind of just going in and closing out different programs saying we're going to get you better sleep so that you're much more rested and so then doing your days to-do list is much more easier and so then you have much easier and then you have less anxiety um, and it's easier to recover and start again the next day you mentioned helping with sleep and we mm-hmm. talked about menopause or mm-hmm. young parents or what are some of the ways that neurofeedback can help people sleep? So we talk a lot with clients about sleep hygiene, getting in bed at the right time, making sure that like all the circumstances are perfect to sleep. Um, but really a lot of the people who are coming to neurofeedback are already doing those things and they're still waking up um, really not restored. And so we can encourage the brain, uh, certain brain waves, uh, and we're really training for this over the sensory motor strip. So the part of the brain that um, takes in information from the body and sends back information about how the body should move and function. Mm. And what we found is when we train there, people get much more restorative sleep. It's easier to fall asleep. So often people can't fall asleep because their brains are moving way too fast. They kind of, the head hits the pillow and all the things they need to worry about hit right in that moment. So calm down the anxiety, make it easier to fall asleep. And then as the brain produces healthier um, activity, it learns to sleep more effectively. And so, Mm -hmm. so you mentioned um, people going through menopause or, or young parents, a young parent is not going to all of a sudden have 10 hours each night they can sleep. So what we're doing there is trying to make the, the say three, four hours they're getting at a time more effective sleep so that it's more restful, very similar with, um, people who are traveling all the time. You can't change the fact that their sleep is going to be interrupted because they're in hotels or they're in different time zones, Mm -hmm. but you can make the sleep they're getting um, more effective. Wow, that's crazy to think that you can manipulate that in Mm -hmm. a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Um, Oh, I had another question. Oh, can you help sleep apnea? So I would say not if the sleep apnea isn't also being treated. Yeah. um, By like a sleep doctor. Okay. Um, but we have a lot of clients who have sleep apnea uh-huh. and we'll just make sure on the front end that they're also going and getting a sleep test, getting the uh, CPAP machine if they need it. Yeah. Um, and 
That's really important because if you do a lot of neurofeedback, but your sleep is, you still have sleep apnea mm-hmm. and you're not sleeping well, your brain doesn't have the resources it needs to train and recover. Um, mm-hmm. Similar to what we talked about, if someone has food sensitivities that mm-hmm. they don't know about and their brain is staying really inflamed because of the food sensitivities, mm-hmm. we can train and train and train. But until the like physiological issues are um, taken care of, the brain won't feel the effects of the neurofeedback. Yeah. And how do you know that? So initially in the, in the first brain map, we assess in the Delta wave for, um, their like physiological health. Uh, and then we also do a, um, a physiological questionnaire on the front end to, um, check for things like thyroid issues, sleep apnea, that kind of stuff. So would you have been able to see that in my Delta map? I would not have been able to look at your map and say, oh, you have sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. But if you had sleep apnea, your Delta sleep issues would have looked a lot worse. And I would have said, okay, what's going on with sleep? And most people who have apnea have some sense of it. They're like, yeah, yeah, I snore a ton or, and we'll say, okay, kind of two options. One, you can try the neurofeedback. And if at 20 sessions, your anxiety's better and your depression's better and your sleep's still bad, we'll say, let's go do a sleep study. Mm-hmm. Or you can go ahead and do the sleep study and get that figured out and then start the neurofeedback. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Do you make recommendations on caffeine consumption? Because it seems like it's based on like this adrenaline and heightened and yeah. Yeah. So we'll, um, I talk to clients about it a lot. There's a a page at the end of the report that goes through like, as you're doing neurofeedback, here are things to think about um, to kind of get the most out of it. So there is a two-part answer. Someone could come in and do neurofeedback and change literally nothing else about their lifestyle uh, and they would still feel better. Mm-hmm. Someone could also come in and change everything about their lifestyle and do neurofeedback and they would feel exponentially better. So some people have the bandwidth to say, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to eat a really like non-inflaming diet. I'm going to ex- start exercising every day. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to, um, I don't know, be out in the sun more. All these mm-hmm. things you can do. I'm going to fix my sleep hygiene. Um, and they'll just get more out of neurofeedback because you're giving the brain more resources to use to, to train. So if you think of it like, um, someone's training for a marathon, someone could still eat cheeseburgers every day and train for the marathon, but someone who, um, sleeps really well and eats really healthy and does strength training in addition to the running is going to perform better in the marathon. Same thing with neurofeedback. So to your point about caffeine, especially when people are running really high anxiety, I'll say, what's your caffeine consumption like? Or if their sleep is really bad, I'll say, what's your caffeine consumption like? Because those are kind of the, often people are, have really non-restorative sleep and they're relying on caffeine to get out of bed in the morning to get them going. Um, Mm. And I don't necessarily recommend that people change it a lot. I more just track it. And I say, okay, let's see what it's like 20 sessions from now. Let's see if you're able to take less of it. Same thing or drink less of it. Same thing with... um, stimulant medication Mm -hmm. so we have a lot of clients who are on Adderall or some version of yeah yeah um and often they're coming with the goal of I'd like to have to rely on this less and we don't start by saying okay let's take away the meds we start by saying let's do neurofeedback let's heal your brain some and over time you'll realize you you need it less and less and they work with a doctor to titrate down yeah so what well let me think which question to ask first (laughs) um what would be some of your best case scenarios or best feedback you've gotten from neurofeedback? Yeah. And then what would be some concerns or 
and I'll just go ahead and say one of the ones I can imagine, not so much a concern, but like this isn't doing anything. Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. tell how Mm -hmm. is this helping me when I'm just watching a show, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a really common question. (laughs) People have asked me, am I just paying a ton of money to watch Netflix? (laughs) This is just a really expensive Netflix. Um, And so I'll start with that one. The the concern is how is this actually helping? And that's really an, a, an issue of education, of understanding how the neurofeedback works. Mm-hmm. So um, because it's completely non-invasive, what we're doing is teaching the brain to self-regulate better. So it feels very different from, um, say, uh, a really intense trauma therapy session where you're unloading everything and you feel in your body and you feel in your brain the effect of, wow, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Neurofeedback takes five or 10 sessions before you start really noticing mm-hmm. a difference, um, which is why we, we tend to encourage people to start with 20 sessions. By the time someone's done 20 sessions, almost always they're like, oh, I get it now. Oh, that, that thing happened with my husband. That same fight we always have just happened. But instead of getting in a fight, I was able to just let it go. So people <sighs> who want instant, immediate gratification, it might frustrate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, because it's there's a trade-off between instant gratification and long-term efficacy. Yes. So if you do neurofeedback well, you do about 40 to 60 sessions, and then you're good. You, your brain has changed. It's adopted the new neural pathways, and, and it's going to keep using them. And you don't have to do neurofeedback forever. Um, but I would say it's not... Um, it's not instant. It's not quick. No, it's and, a, it's an investment of time yeah. for sure. And that's part of the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be weird to completely be able to rewire the brain in like one right. one hour session. Right. That would be electroshock therapy, yeah. which we don't do. Yes, um, we'll probably <laughs> we probably recommend generally. Yeah, right. We don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Discipline. Right. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's similar to um, again to learning theory. When you learn to play the piano, you practice every day for years. Um, I will say the. The great thing about neurofeedback is the investment is one of time and money, but it's not emotionally effortful. The training itself is quite passive. So you're sitting there and watching TV, which to your point makes people think sometimes, is this really doing anything? But then pretty quickly they feel better. Right. And that's when they kind of realize, oh, this is really doing something. And I would say too, when you see your brain map, um, that tends to be very... Um, validating to Before people. Before and after, you mean? Or just even the initial just, map. When someone oh. comes in and they're skeptical and they're like, I don't know about this technology. I've never heard of a QEG. I've never heard of neurofeedback. How is this actually going to work? And then they sit with me and they, we go over a brain map and they're like, oh, you don't know me. And you just told me all these things about how my brain works. How did you know all Based that? on the reading. Yeah, exactly. And so that tends to be the point. It's sort of the conversion point of someone yeah. being it's like, convincing. oh, yeah. Oh, there's something to yes. Well, I love what you said before we started recording um, that when something is like the water you swim in, yeah. like your norm, we don't sometimes realize because we don't know what it feels like to be in another body in another or another brain. brain. Yeah. So you may think, oh, I'm not that anxious, like you were saying, but compared to other people or mm-hmm. you use the your brain is on fire. Mm-hmm. And we don't know um, mm-hmm. what it feels like to be in another existence. Mm-hmm. So that's right. Seeing that can be very helpful. Definitely. Um, and also on the other end of that spectrum, someone who knows exactly how they feel, but they feel like it's their fault. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot with teens, with adults too, but a lot with teens where they're like, it seems like everybody else is doing fine in this class. What's wrong with me that I can't get these math problems mm-hmm. right? And then we pull up their map and I say, well, in your prefrontal cortex, your cognitive wave is really worn out and tired. So of course you can't do that. And then they feel like, oh, okay. It's there's not, a reason that explains my experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. But then you can offer help. Yeah. That's right. We can trigger yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. That's the whole time. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Teach the brain to function differently yeah. so they can you're, feel better. You're a wreck, but mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And you asked, your other question was, what are like best outcomes? What do we yes. kind of expect to see? My favorite outcomes are with um, the high schoolers, middle schoolers and high schoolers uh-huh. we work with. So we've had um, a few girls who, I mean, middle school and high school are just brutal. Oh, They're just yeah. bad, full stop. <laughs> and so we've had a few cases of people who have been really struggling socially, really struggling uh-huh. with new. They, they are really withdrawn. They don't, they're not enjoying the stuff they used to enjoy. Um, going back to um, school and having a lot of fun, kids who haven't been able to go to school for a long time because their anxiety is so high, going mm-hmm. back and doing really well in class, doing well academically, but also kids who come back and they're like, I just feel so much happier. I just, I'm painting again. I'm dancing again. Aww. I'm doing the things I love again. Um, and then the, the other outcomes that I really love are when couples do neurofeedback together. Mm-hmm. And um, first with the brain mapping, they... Um, get a shot of empathy for each other because they see each other's maps and they're like, oh, this makes so much sense why we've been in the same rut. Um, And then Mm. 20 sessions in, they're not in that rut anymore. And they're saying, especially if couples are doing therapy at the same time, Mm -hmm. their their nervous systems are calming down so much and then they're gaining the relational skills, communication skills to kind of work through their stuff. Um, and I, we've seen so many marriages go from like really on the verge, just in the tank to, to really joyful, sustainable relationships. Mm. And then in a more generalized sense, I think, um, neurofeedback very reliably decreases, um, anxiety, mm-hmm. improves sleep, yeah. improves cognition, gets rid of, um, or diminishes interference to focus. And, yeah. Um, and helps people emotionally process, whether that's they need to wake up a little bit to their emotions or we need to give them a little more space from the emotion and help them to kind of articulate, identify what they're experiencing mm-hmm. instead of just flying off the handle. So great. I love it. Well, and you probably know this. I'm sure your mother knows this mm-hmm. from Dr. John Gottman's research in couples. You love the Gottmans. And then you add that to the polyvagal theory. Yep. And totally. Deb Dana, you just uh-huh. said you were... But mm-hmm. when you compare like... John Gottman, for those who don't know, um, he, when they did their research for 30, 40, whatever years, they were putting couples, um, hooking them up to a bunch of electrodes, yes. somewhat similar to what yep. you're doing, but yep. measuring a lot of physiological data, especially like heart rate data yes. to sense when someone's getting so what they would call aroused. So yeah. their heart's speeding up, their temperature is increasing, they're, mm-hmm. they're heading towards that fight or flight mode. Yeah. And what they would say is once you're there, you don't do therapy anymore. You, you stop and you regulate because we can't, our brains cannot learn anything new. They can't grow when yeah. we're in that hyper aroused fight or flight state. It's the opposite of the flow state. Exactly. You talked about earlier. Exactly. All yeah. you can do at that point is survive mm-hmm. your survival brain, your deep brain. The part of the brain that we share with reptiles mm-hmm. has taken over. Yeah. Your human brain is offline. And so if you're sitting there in therapy and you're trying to have a conversation about, um, a problem you need to solve mm-hmm. and you're in sympathetic fight or flight, yeah. you're, you, you feel like you're, um, your whole system is your your only job is to survive to stay yes. alive no matter how small the issue yeah. is that you're talking about you can't hear or absorb or be open the channels aren't open exactly so i love that and it makes so much sense how like neurofeedback can help you know not only with understanding but help down regulate or calm your exactly your body so you can hear and engage and that's right so the way we describe it is neurofeedback's creating the ideal neurological environment to then mm-hmm. go do things like therapy or yes. for a kid go to school and learn um so it doesn't replace yeah you know it's not it, it i would never tell someone stop doing therapy and start doing neurofeedback i would say the neurofeedback is going to make your therapy a lot more useful yeah. and effective yeah 
I totally agree. Taking notes. I love it. Yeah, you know, I've been wanting to do a podcast episode on something like um, either what state or mode do you put people in, so to speak? Hmm. What state are you in? Mm -hmm. And speaking of social anxiety, if your body is in fight or flight, it's really hard to be comfortable in your skin and to be social. Like you said, if someone's overstimulated in a group setting. Yeah, and it's helpful on a brain map, we can start to see, okay, are you overwhelmed because your brain's not doing sensory processing? Mm -hmm. And so it's literally the sounds and the light that are overwhelming you. Mm -hmm. Are you overwhelmed because your brain has a lot of panic activity Mm-hmm. And um, or you're you have a recent trauma or early life relational trauma, and mm-hmm. so relating to other people is really hard. Um, yeah. Or your brain's so tired that the prefrontal cortex, where you do so much of your social engagement activity, is half asleep all yeah. the time. So it's literally hard to even have a conversation. Half of your frontal lobe is like crashing because right. it's tired. <laughs> exactly. And we really need the frontal lobe. Yeah. <laughs> so, but for some people, I mean, we see this with kids a lot, um, like they'll have oppositional defiant diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And really what's happening is they're not sleeping. And so their prefrontal cortex is so shut down that they can't listen. They can't pay attention. They can't remember instructions. Um, and if we get them sleeping, it, it their whole world changes. And why do they not sleep as kids? That's, that's naive, but I don't understand. It seems like an age thing. Yeah, it is a, it's a really good question, and I honestly don't have a good yeah, answer to it. Sure. Um, and some of these kids that I'm thinking of are um, uh, like developmental trauma cases, uh-huh. so um, adopted kids who have so much trauma in their brains and bodies that um, and so much anxiety, they're essentially stuck all the time in survival mode. Maybe and for attachment good reason. disorder. And yeah. Maybe they were never soothed as babies. Exactly. If, yeah. Yeah. And then some kids, it's just like um, developmental stuff. They're, they're just, yeah. There's just a hitch. And, um, and so there doesn't have to be some massive trauma explaining where the brain's at. Unfortunately, the brain maps are not so much... Um, they're not great at history. They're really great at what's happening Present right moment. now. Yeah. Um, and we train based off of that. They're not great at saying they're not sleeping because of X, yeah. Y, or Z thing. Yeah. Um, but whatever the reason is, um, neurofeedback tends to create an environment in the brain such that the, the children can then sleep more mm. easily. And adults too. So what would an oppositional defiant child or adults brain scan or brain map look like? It tends to be really high um, delta and theta, which are the slower waves. Really? So um, think of the oppositional behavior as um, trying to wake itself up. That, but also like their brain, it seems oppositional to us because we're saying do this or do that and they're doing the opposite. And really what's happening in their brain is they're either not there, they're really absent. So that high theta is um, a lot of dissociative behavior, daydreamy, really difficult to be present, really difficult to listen. Um, And it's also high emotional reactivity. So they get an instruction, all of a sudden they're off the rails. And to us with normal Delta and theta, it seems like all I did was ask him to go clean your room. But to them, it's it's a trigger for some reason. They're totally off the rails. Their brain flips into um, uh, fight or flight. Uh, and they also can't remember anything because mm-hmm. their delta and theta are so high. So it's more... Um, more of a functional issue and less of a, like a a diagnosis like oppositional defiance tends to carry with it some sense of this is willful. Mm -hmm. And when we look at a brain map, we're saying the brain is doing the only thing the brain can do in the current state it's Mm -hmm. in. And so we need to give the brain a different option. Mm -hmm. And typically, especially with young people, when you give the brain a different option, it chooses the healthier option on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so when we see people who are really struggling um, to quote unquote behave or to get their schoolwork done, my assumption reading a brain map is they're doing the best their brain can do. And that's what Brene Brown has some great research on. Uh, she talks about generally what the data shows is people are doing the best they can, mm-hmm. um, which for some reason, you know, I even find really hard to believe. I want to hold yeah. on to this sense of like, no, they could just, if they just tried harder or they're doing this on purpose. Right. Brain maps help with that a lot because you see, okay, here's all the interference yeah. in a typical brain, not in your brain map, which is <laughs> shockingly clean, but in a typical <laughs> brain, you see, okay, so here are all of the ways in which your brain has all this interference going on that's making it really hard. You really mm-hmm. are doing your best. Mm-hmm. We want to make your best easier to do and yeah and better that's so cool um i have one quick clinical example and then maybe anything else you want to say this is just a great little intro um i wish if i could go back two years i might have done neurofeedback for this person or referred them to neurofeedback before therapy (laughs) but some a couple was referred to me they were around 50 years old and their son had committed suicide mm-hmm. at around age 25. I'm okay. being very general with the ages yeah. on purpose. but um, And it had happened about two years before. But this woman was almost catatonic. Yeah. Like she seemed like she had dementia. And they yeah. were wondering if she had dementia. Uh-huh. And so we did some grief work and some trauma work. And she definitely made some progress and seemed like she was getting happier to a degree. Um, but she still was just very, you know, um, not clear headed, total yeah. brain fog. And yeah. so I referred her for um, neurofeedback yeah. and they had sent me the report and showed after 20 sessions, yeah. like what, you know, parts of her brain were, were improving and had yeah. improved. And um, I actually haven't, I think they came back once after that, but mm. it really, really helped. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of wish I had sent her to neurofeedback before. Yeah. Um, but she really, she couldn't remember a lot. Yeah. She couldn't remember her birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would you say about that? Yeah, I would say probably that's a brain that's so stuck in survival mode. If you think of, from, think of it from the perspective of like the hierarchy of needs. So mm-hmm. this person has experienced such significant trauma and grief that um, has flipped their brain into a, a, a belief, I guess you could call it, that they're very survival. Their life is in danger all the time. Mm. And that's taking 100% of her brain's energy to manage all of the grief, the trauma, the survival. Mm. The brain doesn't have extra energy to remember anything or yeah. to be present to a conversation or to emotionally connect. It's or in to low power mode. Just exactly. one thing. Exactly. Yeah. Probably her brain would have been really blue because also mm. it takes an enormous, and for listeners, blue is low, low mm-hmm. power, low energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes an enormous amount of energy to grief and mm-hmm. to cope. Um, and so often our brains just shut down and it looks very catatonic. It looks like you're not even feeling anything anymore because your brain um, has no power. And so if we look at it from an energy perspective, what we do with neurofeedback is we uh, kind of revamp the brain and encourage it to come back online. Mm-hmm. And you're, I appreciate what you said about you wish you'd done neurofeedback first Mm -hmm. or earlier in the therapeutic process, because then you realize a brain that has more energy can come in and do more emotional processing Mm -hmm. in a way that it can't do when it's totally catatonic or when it's stuck in survival mode. And Mm -hmm. often survival mode of that kind of feels like if I let myself feel, if my brain lets me feel, I will not survive it. It will be so excruciating. I cannot feel. I can't turn that on. And that happens at a really non-conscious level. That's Mm. usually not someone thinking, I need to shut myself down emotionally or it'll hurt too bad. It's the brain non-consciously doing that to protect us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Wow. 
It's a little mind blowing. It is mind blowing. <laughs> it really it's is. <laughs> well, um, yeah, maybe the last thing I can think of and then anything else and we can wrap up. But so when I came in today, Kelsey put uh, like a, a bandana type mm-hmm. type cap on my head. Like a swim cap. Swim cap. Like swim cap. Mm-hmm. It was much more comfortable than a swim cap. It didn't pull my hair. I hate Good. those. Talk about sensory issues. Those, right. that's, I would love to swim if I didn't have to wear those goggles. Oh, they're awful. Tight. Oh, I can't do it either. How they do that. But anyway, she put that on and then put some gel on mm-hmm. and some electrodes. And then if you can kind of stay calm and let her get the data quickly it takes less than 30 minutes yeah it's a really quick process so we do five recordings eyes open five recordings eyes closed and they're each minute long recordings and so for an adult who can sit still that's about a 25 30 minute process Mm -hmm. we we train starting at age five and so for our five to 10 year olds, it takes a little bit longer and that's okay. Oh, yeah. and the, um, the wiggles and the moving is all totally fine. And then for, we also treat a lot of, um, clients, uh, on the autism spectrum and sometimes sensory, uh, the sensory aspect of the cap and the gel and all of that is difficult. And so uh-huh. we'll leave plenty of time for that. And sometimes those people come in and get familiar with the cap and the gel and we won't actually do the brain map that day. We'll wait and they'll come back later. Um, but for the little littles, uh, we can put on a TV show that they can watch and mm. we'll just do the eyes open map um, mm-hmm. so that we have some data to work with because mm-hmm. um, it's not always realistic. It's often not realistic for a five-year-old to sit oh, still yeah. with their eyes closed for 20 minutes. So. Oh, yeah. But generally, it's a painless process um, and we're not doing anything to the brain. We're just collecting data mm-hmm. uh, and you only have to wear the cap and do all the gel when we're doing the brain map. So for mm-hmm. the actual neurofeedback sessions, um, it's just a few sensors we put on the scalp and... Um, and yeah. clean it all up and you're on your way. Yeah, you don't minutes. feel anything. You don't. It's fascinating. It's amazing. It is. I, I feel really lucky that I get to do it. It's been yeah. a, a very cool few years of um, healing myself with it first. And I then, was thinking that. Yeah. yeah. That's really when I bought into your earlier question about um, how do you convince people that this is doing anything when they're just sitting and watching Netflix. And I think when my mom bought all the equipment and... Um, and we were testing it all in our bonus room. I totally didn't believe in it. And I thought, this is woo-woo. Um, <laughs> and then 40 sessions later, I felt like a new person and um, was off medication and just have struggled so much less um, over the past seven years since doing it. And so for me, it's pretty easy to, to look at someone, look at a brain map and say, you're going to feel better. Right. Yeah. For them, it takes a little bit of trust at first. You've experienced it. Yeah. Like your anxiety yeah. and depression specifically. Yeah. Just... So much better totally different. Um, and all of our, all of our employees do a lot of neurofeedback. So all of the technicians, um, do neurofeedback a few times a week as do, um, those of us who are reading the brain maps and doing because they believe in it and see what it does. Yeah. I think that's the best perk of the job is you get to do free. Free. Um, but because of that, our staff is a really well-regulated, calm, Uh happy team, which is fun for me too, to get to work with people who, do, who are doing their feedback. It would be amazing if eventually schools could have a budget for someone on staff. It would be so cool. We've thought about this with schools, nonprofits, okay. community yeah. centers, even businesses, just to have like <clears throat> the brain room. Um, yeah. And some do. Like, I think Apple has some sort of like brain center, you know, the, the, the big dogs have. Or homeless shelters. Yes. I mean, Ooh, the amount yeah. of people that if they could get this at age 12 or 14 mm-hmm. or 15, mm-hmm. instead of looking to drugs or alcohol right. or right. just let their mental health condition spiral out of That's control. Right. Yeah. Cause it's the, the train tracks analogy we talked about earlier where, yeah. um, neurofeedback is giving, is, is 
moving the direction of the tracks and the train then keeps following it. And so if at 15, you can get to a kid who um, is struggling with anxiety, depression, whatever, uh, and heal it then, then that's years and years and years of life that their brain doesn't spend developing those neural pathways that were causing all the anxiety mm-hmm. and depression. Um, instead, it gets to practice using neural pathways that are calm and happy and relaxed and at ease. Mm. That said, we get clients all the time who are 65, 70, and it works for them too. Um, yeah. But it's really, I think you can preempt a lot of trauma and pain uh, when you can train brains earlier. Oh, and I, earlier you said the piece about the quicker you come in after a trauma. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so this is a question we get a lot, um, especially when people are in crisis. So mm-hmm. I was talking specifically about um, head trauma, like concussions. And old wisdom would have said you let everything settle down and then you start treatment. Now we know the sooner you can intervene with uh, concussion, the faster the brain will heal. Mm-hmm. But even with emotional trauma or crisis situations, people will say, okay, well, I'm in the middle of this horrible divorce. Should I wait until things calm down to train? And I say, no, do it now because your ability to cope with all the stress is going to be much higher. The hard part about that is they still feel bad because they're still in the middle of a crisis, but they don't feel as bad as they would without the neurofeedback. And once things calm down, their brain then starts to feel a whole lot better. Mm. It's simpler for me when when someone is in a really calm or, or calm environment and they're just struggling with sleep or anxiety yeah. or something because then they see the progress in real time. Right. When there's crisis, you don't see the progress in real time as much. You just have to trust like, okay, this is so much better than it would be um, if I wasn't, yeah. if I didn't have the support. I definitely, that's intuitive to me, early intervention. And of mm-hmm. course we talk about with traditional talk therapy, um, after a trauma, critical incident, stress debriefing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if someone talks about a trauma within a day or two, you have the best results yeah. because it doesn't go into long-term storage. Right. I also think of trauma or grief or anything like that as an infection. If you have yes. a sore, you want to treat it early. Don't ignore it. Right. Because then it, or a, or a tumor, mm-hmm. right. it grows. It metastasizes. It, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. gets more, in, the likelihood of infection or spreading right. is just so much worse if you wait. Well, I just read, I just wrote down that I'm going to read that book. The body keeps the score. I've heard of it before. Yeah. It's a really good one. It's, it's sort of like reading a textbook. So yeah. Don't get down on yourself if you have have to put it on the shelf. You can borrow mine. I I got a little overwhelmed. I think he's he's amazing, but it's as me with my reading comprehension struggles. It's it's yeah. I gave my copy away recently to a client too. So you're (laughs) this is the best book I've ever read. You can have it. You can have it. (laughs) I will say to the point of the metastasizing. One place that that's really obvious is when you have parents who have their own childhood trauma and they're not trying to raise kids, Mm. and their kids are struggling. And what I would love to see is parents coming in and doing their own neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the same thing applies to therapy. Not that we don't want to give therapy and neurofeedback to kids. We do. But but if you can get the um, system calmed down by way of the parents, then the kids start regulating too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, that generational pattern of kind of passing down some of that trauma gets interrupted in a yeah. really powerful way. Get healthy from the top down mm-hmm. is probably better than the bottom mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. But anything is better than anything, nothing. Anything. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll do it regardless. So, can I yes. get into some details, real quick? Yeah. Little details. So, you do the brain mapping and mm-hmm. then you're like, I think I'd super benefit from some neurofeedback mm-hmm. and it's a package of 20. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what are the, do you do that here? Right yeah. here? Yep. And then, what are the parameters you have to do, like, 
two a week, one a week. You can do one and come back a month later. Or yeah. You... So ideally someone would do two to three a week every week until they're done with 40 sessions. That probably has never happened in the history of your feedback. Okay. It's because life happens. Yeah. It's very okay to um, Spread take, it out. Yeah, to take a week off here and there. And that first set of 20 sessions, consistency is really important. So as much as people can, we say come in two to three times. You're a little a more strict the first 20 than the second 20. And does right. it matter if you like you're high stress working and you just run in here and do it and run back up. Those are the best days to train because okay. it's when it's, it's when your brain needs the most, um, your sessions will look the worst. It'll be, you know, your, the performance, which doesn't really matter on the sessions will look bad. But when your brain is in that highest, uh, state of stress and we're working to calm it down, it's really good exercise okay. for the brain. So if you think you're too busy, it's, you're not, <laughs> if you think, you're, if, <laughs> yeah. if you think like, you're too busy, you probably are. And that's probably part of the problem. And yeah, so we right. want to get your brain calmed down so that, um, you can manage more stuff right, right, and right. make maybe healthier decisions about what you do and don't say yes to. Because it's different than yeah. a therapy session because I've, you know, run to a therapist when I'm in the, and I get in there and I'm just a shit show. Yeah, yeah. you spend 30 minutes trying to calm down and right, get present right, and then right, you have 20 yeah. minutes mm-hmm. left. Yeah, okay. it is so different. this is different. That. Okay. It is. Yeah, you can pop in and out. Okay. We have people who come on their lunch breaks from work. Kids come after school and before school. And do you do it or somebody else? So we have board certified technicians who do the actual training and we have two here in Chattanooga. So we have a a larger staff in Nashville, but for now we just have two in Chattanooga. So they're here every day. Um, I come in once a week and we primarily do our um, brain map readings remotely. We can do them in person, but Mm -hmm. even in the Nashville office, most people opt to, okay, I'm having to come into this office all the time anyways i'll just do this one on zoom so it's one less trip in you can brain map over zoom no sorry we we do the results oh, oh. Yeah, yeah yeah i know the, i was thinking the, the same recording thing. Like, i'm glad you asked that that yeah. didn't look like something you could no no yeah. no the recording is in person the neurofeedback sessions gotcha. typically are in person we do have remote units so for people who don't live close to the office oh. we'll send them with a home training unit and it's the same software they learn to hook themselves up oh. it's really helpful if you can't make it into the clinic I prefer in clinic sessions because there's more we can do to monitor and make sure it's precise and, and yeah. effective. Um, but if you have to, that's if you a, have to, you can back up. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we've come to Chattanooga is to have offices. Um, ideally, we'd have offices in lots of cities so that people don't have to do as much remote training, don't have to travel as much, and mm. all of that. This is and so how we did with Beth. How you did the the brain mapping, and then we sat here. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it'd be way more intense session than that. And you yeah. have to schedule a lot of t- more time, and that's why you don't do it in office, like, immediately after. Typically, so really the what's different is the processing time. So it takes us a day or so to take uh, to go from raw EEG data to we've got the report that the client's going to get. Yeah. Um, and we're spending that time. It really still just takes an hour. Um, sure. But we're spending that time orienting to the neurofeedback process and going over the brain map data. Okay. And we try to keep the data pretty concise um, so that people don't leave totally overwhelmed. I think I read maps for a year before they really made sense to me. It's just a lot. It's a new way of thinking about the brain. It's a lot of data. And so um, we try to hone in on what's most important. And and also in that conversation, it's really useful to us to collect some client self-report and history. And we have clients who give us a lot and clients who give us a little and neurofeedback works either way. Um, Okay. Which is what's awesome when you're working with someone who's, you know, 13 and they're so mad that their parents made them come do a brain map and um, they're not going to tell me anything about how they feel, but I can look at their map and know what I need to do with neurofeedback. Mm. And wow, how did that 
41 minutes. I felt like 20. That was crazy. (laughs) Well, this was so enlightening and exciting and cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was so generous of you to to have me on. I've always wanted to do this. Oh, well, I'm so glad you got to. Yeah. It was really fun. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. This is awesome. So good.